a playlist original. Writer Tim Fraser and producer and performer Mike Waller have been on quite a journey with their play Candy. It was originally picked from more than 1,000 entries to be performed as a 15-minute short by Mike's theatre company Reboot. One full-length show and a pandemic later, and a 20-minute version filmed at London's Blue Elephant Theatre, is now being shown online as part of this year's Edinburgh Festival Fringe, the largest arts festival in the world. The comedy gives a rather unique insight into love at first sight and, as Tim is Queer We Go's first non-LGBTQ plus guest, is evidence of Ali Ship done right. And Tim, congrats for being the first straight person to grace the Queer We Go Airways. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of people to thank. Uh, so I'm just gonna list off a bunch of people that's gonna take up the whole time. Uh, I love the way you've got a rainbow lanyard just hanging to your left. Oh, well, we both have. I've got a rainbow. You have as well. We'll turn in by the end of the series. <laughs> um, so please, can you introduce yourselves and give your pronouns? So I'm Mike Waller and I'm he, him. I am Tim Fraser and I'm he, him. And can you sum up Candy for me? Well, it, it's the old classic love story boy sees girl falls in love with girl but just so happens that this girl is his best mate in drag tim i think we should use that for the poster or something that was pretty good yeah it's essentially that and it's about him going through this kind of crisis after seeing her and also just yeah being for the first time head over heels in love and it's kind of about you know how men aren't very good at talking about their feelings and him trying to kind of work out exactly where he stands, especially as he sees the world through this very binary lens. And, it, and it's a story I think we all have experienced. You know, it is that infatuation with somebody that is possibly unattainable. I'm sure as teenagers, we've all fallen for these media stars, film stars, stage stars. And as we go through life, there's always someone you've got that crush on that you can't really have or you can't really get. And it is that struggle between how you do that and how you deal with those feelings. And Tim, I know the idea for the play was sparked by the song Andrew and Drag by the Magnetic Fields, but what was your original motivation behind writing it? So when I first started writing it, it was at the tail end of 2016, 2017 it was the original draft and I was at film school at the time and we had to do a short play as our kind of like grad show and I had written one and it was awful and then so I needed to write something really fast so I wrote that and that's awful to admit but that was the initial thing so I didn't think a lot at the time when I wrote it about the authenticity of the story you know as me as a straight man and that kind of thing and it's only since and over the years it's resonated with a lot of people that I've really taken a look back at the kind of things that more subconsciously definitely influenced me that weren't just the song by Magnetic Fields, which is a great song, by the way. But yeah, you know, in terms of just my own friends and some people that I knew who were going through similar kind of struggles, as well as at the time I wrote it, I had recently fallen in love, kind of head over heels. And so that was definitely an influence. And that was the original short monologue. And then by the time that I started writing it with Reboot, Mike's company as a full-length version of the play by that point I was heartbroken rather than in love and so I used a lot of that to influence and I think at the time you know I was very much and I think that now it's, it's such a 
part of the conversation that everyone is involved in but back then less so you know but I was just I was very I wanted to say what I felt about sexuality being this spectrum and you know the imagining essentially Will being from this kind of working class northern town that he didn't really have a reference point for anything that was not binary in terms of gay or straight and so him really loving Candy's femininity and her glamour but also being aware that it's his friend in drag and loving that familiar familiarity as well I think that that kind of complicated relationship with it and you know that I I'm I mean I'm not going to define his sexuality with a term but you know it's definitely on the spectrum somewhere and I think that he just ha- doesn't have the words for it and so he doesn't know how to define it even in his head and I think that's a lot of the confusion that he goes through throughout the play and as you say you've uh, you're really interested in that sort of sexuality being a spectrum and the restriction society's expectations about masculinity often place on people has your thinking about that expanded on since creating the play yeah definitely I think that it well in terms of the masculinity thing that was always there because I went to like an all-boys state school and grew up in London and so you know it's a crash course in toxic masculinity a lot of that and just from my own experiences and like male mental health and how we all kind of need to talk to each other is very close to my heart and I think that that's definitely something that is a big theme in the play but yeah I think I was initially hesitant to develop it from the short play that it was a 10 minute one into a 50 minute one and it was because I was concerned like this isn't really my story you know if it's a 10 minute thing then it's fun and funny and I can make it hit the right emotional stuff with all the stuff I can use to do with unrequited love but I didn't want to feel like a fraud writing this thing that was about someone's crisis of sexuality that I hadn't really been through so those are my reservations and I talked to Mike about them I remember at the time and he was very encouraging and we kind of worked together to come up with a version that we both really liked and felt really authentic and genuine and Mike's input definitely was something that I used and that compared to when I wrote that first draft and I was just writing it for writing it realizing that just getting feedback from people from the LGBT community and making sure that it feels right I think is very important and is something that if Candy's ever taken further I, I would just consider it every step of the way. And how do you both feel that your collaboration as a heterosexual writer and as a gay performer fed into the play and helped shape it? That's an interesting question. I I don't think the sexuality between us or or the differences has actually hindered or strengthened. For me, I think it was a unique opportunity. So, So I think the background that we've maybe not mentioned is we looked at the short play I read it in fact I remember reading it on the train back from the Edinburgh Fringe several years ago and thinking we need to do this play and we did it it was a very funny very moving piece and uh, as Tim's already said I said look this is great but I think this has got a journey I think there's lots of things that have not been explored and I say that not because of me as a gay man but me as a person who lived as this character and Tim and myself did what all people do go to a bar and have a few drinks and all of a sudden I just vomited out all of these inner stories that had been created for this guy and I think that's possibly where the strength came is somebody who has lived with struggles so so I'm I'm a gay man and I spent the first 20 years of my life trying not to be a gay man and I guess there is some resonance between myself and my journey and Will's journey where you try not to do something because you don't really have a benchmark for where you're going and you don't want to be different. We spend our life as humans trying to be normal and fit in and certainly Will doesn't do that and 
I've spent my life trying to fit in. And then you try and pull against that direction you're, you're trying to travel in. So there's a lot of me and a lot of my own personal experiences that I saw in Will in very parallel ways, even very different. And I think Tim got the therapeutic outload of me sharing them and telling him what Will really wanted to tell people. And Mike, your character obviously comes from a northern town with seemingly little understanding of drag culture. As you say, you've already drawn on your own experiences for the play, but you're originally from Stockton-on-Tees, so how did you draw? I am. So, so I am I'm a very northern boy as well, and I also went to a boys' school where if you didn't play rugby and football, is it, I mean, like, and I didn't, and we didn't do art at all at school. There was one theatrical production in the seven years I was there. And growing up in the 80s, 90s, you didn't see gay people. You, the, the reference points when you were young were Lily Savage, people of that type. And there was the very narrow-minded views of people that have never left the smaller towns and seen diversity. And you try not to be that type of person. I'd never met a gay person until I was on holiday in Singapore and it was like this revelation and it was terrifying to meet a gay person it wasn't romantic in the slightest and I remember my first time in a gay bar and I thought, I'm sure we've all felt this is wrong. Am I going to be arrested? You know, it was that culture where you didn't have any normality and it wasn't as accepted. Coming back to Candy, I think it is exactly the same kind of journey. Somebody trying to do something for himself and how that sits with his own acceptance and those around him. The full-length production, which was at the King's Head Theatre and was scheduled to be at the Fringe, but will be at the Fringe next year unless we have yet another pandemic, I think explores that journey and those relationships a lot more. I think the 20-minute filmed version, which is what we've got at the festival this year, captures the beauty of that, the essence, but just touches on some of those things. People can therefore come see the full story next year, but it, it gives you that same journey and feeling and understanding but probably raises questions for you as an audience member that you want to have answered which is exactly where Tim and myself were two years ago sat in the understudy bar <laughs> and develop that journey together. So. And as you say the play's been through many iterations and obviously Covid got in the way of attempts to perform the show in Edinburgh and it's been a 10 minute monologue in 2017 to a 15 minute short at the bunker and then a full length play at the King's Head Theatre as you say and now a 20 minute film. What have you learned about the importance of form in terms of telling a story in certain time frames like a lot I mean yeah just you saying it that there's even more as well like you just listed a bunch of those and that felt like a lot but also I've been working with this producer for the last few years who wants to make candy into a short film <laughs> there's just a bunch of versions I have like a list of you know my folder that has all the candy scripts it's like candy this version candy that version and it's just like just goes on and on and on so I like the idea that no version is the pure version and that every form has its own limitations, but also its own unique, you know? And I think it was interesting for Mike, I'm sure like being primarily a, a theater actor and all of a sudden there was this big camera in your face. But I think that, cause I had had experience doing screenplay stuff, it was less alien to me, I guess. I mean, you smashed it, Mike, I'm not trying to say. It. <laughs> it's the same story, but just trying to tweak. So you're utilizing and leaning into certain things, I think is really great. Can I add to that as well? Because Candy is an incredibly intimate piece. So it is about a, a, a boy that falls in love with a girl, but it, it is a guy, Will, who wants to tell this story and he develops this very close intimate connection with the audience to do so. I know when Tim's original version 0. whatever 
it was almost written as a comedy stand-up gig and it became much more personal, intimate, reflective and the relationship between actor Will and the audience is so powerful and certainly for me having performed it so many times it is my relationship with the person I'm telling it to almost as a one-to-one almost as a group session just to hold these people and one of the reviews from King's Head he said I just wanted to get up and hug this guy at the end so there is that connection as Tim said I am a big theatre person I'm less film and have always struggled with what is theatre what is film and within the last 18 months how those two have blurred together and how can you retain genuine theatre without it becoming a film and how can you retain that energy and intimacy that you get in a theatre that you lose on a screen and I must say it has been really cleverly done because there is no audience and this piece has always relied on an audience to tell the story because it is a very one-to-one piece and it is very interactive not not in a way that would make audiences nervous or uncomfortable like a stand-up gig it's not that type of intimacy and interaction but we didn't have an audience because we we weren't allowed an audience and actually that played to the strengths of the piece it really paid to the strengths of the performance and the way it's been filmed and I think it gives it another level of intimacy this isolation that this guy really has and I'm a little bit of a convert I'm not saying that all theatre should be filmed but I think we have done it justice that you know this is a theatre performance but it is beautifully filmed and it feels cinematic but it feels like a play and it's been very cleverly done to retain that genuine theatre vibe and do either of you have a favourite iteration that it's been through so far or yeah they (laughs) full-length version is beautiful the journey is quite magical and as somebody who does the performance every night you're quite broken not by energy just by the story you're quite broken at the end and I think it gives you more of a depth into understanding why you become broken why this character is behaving in the way he does but still lets you go home with questions it's not giving you an answer about who he is where he is on that gay straight spectrum it lets you explore it a little bit more so for me it it is the full-length version i would agree with that the full-length version i think that that's the kind of culmination of you know everything i was trying to do with it over the years but then from that breaking off and writing this 20 minute version and what we've come out with and having seen it just the other day that is a very close second for me and we have done like a whole marvel movie like will will return kind of thing uh, and like <laughs> advertise our show next year but i think it's interesting because i don't know what we'll do with it obviously it's great that this is like a one-off exclusive to this year's Fringe but I'm now so happy with it I kind of don't want to just have it this year and leave it I want to do something with it but you know as Mike was saying it's not quite a short film it's not quite just lazy someone's put a webcam on a theater piece we've really tried to play with the form and yeah Mike you're right having just that empty theater really gets into Will's head and his loneliness pretty much the only note I ever gave Mike was just this one line I can't even remember what it was but I was just like if you could say that less to the imagined audience and more just to yourself, kicking right. yourself in the head. And it, it's that kind of thing where doing the, the play this way gives that space of really getting inside Will's head. And, and Mike, you know, for someone who hasn't done a lot of on-screen work, the camera loves you and, you know, you really get that. I don't want to sound too much like a lovey, but <laughs> it's all in the eyes and, yeah, you really nail the emotion. And, and it was a conscious decision, Jessica, to do this short version. I've told you my feelings on recorded theatre and that you lose the intimacy and 50 minutes of listening to one guy on a stage without an audience to play off and 
feed off and interact with is a struggle and I think could be quite tiresome and actually there was a story to be told and it was Tim's great idea to say why why don't we do a shorter version a bit more kind of YouTube we're all very used to over the last 18 months short snappy things that people can just dip into for 20 minutes and think that was great or well all right that was 20 minutes but I think that is a good length and it was a conscious decision to say how can we really put a one-man show onto a screen to do it justice to keep the audience hooked without people drifting off and turning off it was rewritten especially for this the whole staging was created especially for this and I think we've done well with it I agree Mike Very excited now for it to just find an audience. I have never seen the play before, which sounds ridiculous because I've always been in the play. And I've done a few short films before and I don't like watching it as much as the camera might love me to. I hate me on the <laughs> because you, you watch this happening that's terrible and I watched the play back for the first time in the first rough cut and I was really taken back and I forgot this sounds a bit wanky I forgot it was me you know and I actually watched this <laughs> I'm sure time. you did I'm sure you yeah, <laughs> God he did didn't he um, I thought this is great and actually it really took me away as well and watched the play from an audience perspective which I've never done before and I think it is you know it was great if I do say so myself. I'm excited for 20 minute version to sort of ease me back into the attention span of everything because I saw my first proper full length like two hours something show the other day and I was just wow. like oh gosh what is this <laughs> did you did you last the whole the whole way I did I did but um I didn't bring snacks which was a mistake <laughs> <laughs> That's the, I, you've got to like replicate the experience as much as possible I think right you know like turn all the lights off like proper cinema home screening. Maybe like shuffle up to someone, just pretend someone's there and like <laughs> shuffle a bit. Oh, sorry, excuse me, excuse, really aids it. And your director, Nico, has said the play is about the beauty and strength you can find in love and at the same time how scary it can be, which I think for queer people especially is a really important point. Did you find yourself relating to that aspect at all, Mike? Yeah, definitely. Because it is difficult, you know, you're again fighting against the norm and you're trying to have these relationships with people in a minority context that in London I think we're more protected of because London's quite diverse and accepting but you just have to travel outside London and people are watching you or you feel like that so I think we do all feel a little bit like that and I think for me there was definitely a personal story within that. I feel the same because I grew up in a tiny little rural countryside village and yeah very different to the life of London. Yeah and I think you know it takes some time so, so I, di- I didn't come out till I was 30 just about 29 and a half. And I think it took a while for me to accept myself. And again, which is paralleled in the play. And I don't think, I don't know, I'm not speaking for the character, I'm not speaking for the interpretation, but I don't know if Will ever accepts who he is or understands who he is. And I think that is a journey. And I think you're still coming out and depending on who and where you may change that behavior you know if you're in the middle of uh, welsh highlands you, you might behave very differently to where you are in central london there's nothing against the welsh highlands it's a beautiful place <laughs> what mike you always talk to me about how you hate the welsh highlands you said i've only been once i love it <laughs> uh yeah full disclosure that's a joke that was a joke 
He loves the Welsh Highlands. And did you learn anything about your own feelings about masculinity and identity while creating Candy? I think it became much more personal and what Tim doesn't know. So I have recently broken up as well from a a very long-term relationship the week before we filmed Candy, no less, Tim. And I, I think that gave to me the play a very different energy as well and certainly trying to learn lines that are a love story a story of somebody you can't have becomes much more personal when all of a sudden you've just had that person removed from you and you still can't attain that person as much as you want them and the parallels between me having a breakup and Will and his journey were just so strong and I thought certainly rehearsing it kind of brought something different and new and very personal to the piece actually but yes for full disclosure I'm now available (laughs) (laughs) any listeners writing and do you have any funny stories from rehearsal or filming that you'd like to share can you think of any Tim we're all we're just very serious people nothing really funny happens to us or around us right Mike Uh, (laughs) (laughs) all went quite smoothly I thought you know we did well so I'm thinking over the last couple of years because of course Mm. there's several versions Uh, I don't want to spoil the full length piece but it's not from rehearsals but there is a particular moment that is an audience interactive piece I know exactly what you're talking about and I think we can spoil it I think there's no point being coy one little bit it's not a big spoiler can I say that so there's a little bit which is in it it is in the filmed version where Will is in a nightclub and goes for a wee and in the stage show when there's an audience he goes and wees on an audience member and I I think the response of that audience member and uh, (laughs) it it was priceless wasn't it Tim it was a friend of yours because we we did it two nights over the king's head and because obviously the way it was staged I knew exactly going in which audience member was going to be like fake peed on because he's just telling the story and he's just like oh so I go to the toilet right and I'm doing a piss and then you know it's just a great little visual joke but I knew exactly who it was and I think the first night it, both nights were two of my mates and one guy was incredibly uncomfortable and he's my friend who's just kind of like an awkward shy guy hope he doesn't mind me saying in public and he was just so so awkward and it was hilarious and then the second time it was another mate who just found the whole thing hilarious I think his flatmate was sitting next to him was just laughing at him so it really yeah it was one of those things that I think we miss it's going to be different every night because it's going to be a different person getting weed on can I tell you my favorite moment though was at the King's Head production we had a transgender audience member who sat on the front row and howled with laughter throughout in a good way because it is a funny play and I thought that was the moment I thought we have really connected with who this story is about it is about the spectrum it is about queer and it is about acceptance and I thought for me to do a play a gay man to do a play as a straight man who is somewhere on a spectrum that he doesn't know about a girl he fancies who's in a dress and somebody of transgender community loving the the piece was was really quite special to me yeah I actually there's a similar thing because my friend was sitting next to me on the first night who's since come out as trans and I knew that they were going through something so I was very nervous when it started as I was talking about my own insecurities about being a fraud and just not being my story I think it was right for me to kind of wrestle with but obviously that came to a head when I was sitting right next to this person and I turned around at the end and they were crying and it was for the right reasons (laughs) rather than the wrong reasons and I was like okay okay I've done something right we've done something right here so that was really really lovely maybe they would have felt differently if they got weed on who knows
talking about your audiences, I'm obsessed with how important culture is to changing people's mindsets. And why do you think that is? And have you witnessed that shift in your own audiences? I think so. So, so it's difficult because I think the play's only been performed a few times. You know, it's only been in its infancy as a short play. And it was a short play within a series of other short plays as a kind of showcase. And I think, therefore, you bring a wider range of audience members, but transform the play to the king's head, which has a particular programming and audience following, I think it does give you a more representative audience, but I don't think it needs to be representative. I don't think this has to be a play where you're just having the LGBTQ plus audience there, because I think this is a story that needs to be told to everybody. It's the old theatre is for everybody, but it is just the, the ones that sit and maybe not the most representative of who it's about. And I think if you want to tell this story and actually get some better understanding and you know shed this toxic masculinity, I think you need to sell it to an audience that is not just of a queer following. You need to sell it to everybody so they have an insight. And I think it does it in such a beautiful way because it is a northern guy and he's quite masculine. And actually people can relate to that. But all of a sudden then you see this other side of him. And I think it allows you to think some acceptance with this character, some understanding and relationship with him and actually the journey he's gone. I think it will therefore challenge your own thoughts. I remember talking about that first time it was performed, that you performed it, Mike. At the bunker? I, yeah. At the, at the bunker when it was a short play I remember there was some kind of young probably early 20s guys and then when there was that kind of twist that said quite casually of just like okay I knew that this was my best mate in a dress but you know it was love at first sight they just started like cackling it was interesting to me looking at it because I could tell that they were doing it partly because they were sat next to each other and they were mates you know what I mean and that their reactions if they had come on their own or with a different friend would have been different but they were two like straight blokes thinking this was like oh, really funny and that was really fascinating to me to just watch that and you know as the piece gets more emotional and their kind of reaction changing and all of a sudden they're like oh okay oh this isn't just a little fun joke <laughs> you know he's actually going through it and that was interesting and I think that yeah you're right you know in terms of the king's head it has a big LGBT plus program and audience and that was really really great to bring it directly to that audience but I think that's the thing about the fringe isn't it is that the audience is going to be wider and I think it'll be fascinating when we're performing it next year every day for three weeks the different kinds of audience that we're going to get and the different kinds of reactions. So, so we for language reasons got a lot of swearing in it Tim. Will's a bit potty mouth. You said that like you were you're like it's got a lot of swearing in it Tim. <laughs> Like, <laughs> sort that out. Oh, my uh, dad. But, but therefore, it's got an age restriction attached to it. Right. Which is a shame, because actually it is 16 plus because of bad language and sexual content. But actually, it's a story that people younger than 16 can listen to if they can mm -hmm. cope with the word every so often. When I was 14, I would love to have known that actually things can be normal. You're allowed to have feelings. Oh, Jesus. Teenagers really struggle to deal with their feelings and understanding. And actually seeing somebody that you can watch and reflect and, and think about, I think would be great. So it is not just for 16 year olds. It, it can be for younger, but with that additional caution. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't mind the F-bombs, I felt they were necessary. How, how, can you count them, Tim? <laughs> yeah. So you can do this thing on final draft. It's like a, a statistics report. And it says like which character speaks which percentage of the time. And it's a one man play. So I was like, OK, that's not going to be very useful. But they also have a profanity report. 
And it's like, I sent Mike this picture that was just like, asshole, one use, fuck, a Virginian use, like fucking a Virginian, you know. Uh, sorry, I don't know if we could swear on your podcast, but yeah, he's potty mouth. And drag is vastly empowering for many. So what are your own relationships to drag and how do you feel when you're watching it? I bloody love drag. Not just the RuPaul, which is really just, it's not commercialised it, but it's brought it home to everybody because it is a beautiful art form. And it is not just a bloke putting on a dress and some cheap makeup line from the play. It is an art form and drag artists are beautiful. The way they create their own look and image and makeup and having dressed up on more than one occasion in drag for parties and fun. And it is really difficult to do. And I think there is something about escaping from who you are, becoming somebody else, which is what theatre is. It is very clever. Comedic drag is just dangerous, isn't it? To be on the receiving end of. But I think it's incredible. And I used to work very closely with a friend who used to run a charity drag night for an, uh, a theatre HIV charity, which is a recent pandemic them but actually seeing how people can create this alter ego and at a very high level put on a incredible performance so i love drag i agree i mean i i'm gonna i think you know <laughs> i've been doing it a lot but i think it's important to kind of own my past ignorance <laughs> in terms of the reference points i had when i first wrote this I mean, it was Drag Race, uh, which now I can see is this very mainstream, you know, and a lot of my gay friends have an increasingly nuanced or difficult relationship. Not maybe difficult, but, you know, it's less this celebratory thing that I think in my naivety, I thought it was not to give any discredit. But yeah, I think that was a lot of my reference point at the time because I was watching it. And I remember, <laughs> I'm going to sound so straight here. Uh, I was just like, wait, so they make all their own clothes as well. <laughs> oh my word. Wow. These people are talented, like so surprised. <laughs> but, you know, I think that that was it. And that was part of the thing with Candy, where th there was a contestant on Drag Race who was just incredibly feminine. And I was just like, I, I can't believe that. I can't believe it's actually a bloke. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of thing. And I think that it's that idea of straight guys or any of us, we're not attracted to chromosomes. You know what I mean? We're not attracted to gender. It's this like femininity, masculinity and everything on that spectrum. And I think that that was one of the things that did start making me think about that seriously. And and then since writing the original play, I was an usher at the Underbelly Festival in Southbank. And they had drag shows on that I was ushering for. And you'd get different kinds of audiences every night. And some of those shows were just incredible. And yeah, I've obviously been to see lots of drag shows since. And I love it. In the play, Will resents the lies sown by his aunt's rom-com selection. But I have to ask, do you have a favourite rom-com? So the rom-com reference is Love Actually. I hate <laughs> Love Actually. <laughs> I hate it and I used to really like it when I was young dumb and a teenager and thought it was really romantic and you kind of don't realize it's actually incredibly sexist and none of the people speak like they're real people it kind of legitimizes stalking especially that bit that's supposed to be really romantic when he's holding the cards it's just like you're just really creepy dude this is really creepy anyway uh not gonna rant about love actually when Harry met Sally is the one for me I think that is a fantastic film everything that has been said about it. I can't really add anything to the conversation, but yeah, it's just a classic. I don't know if I do, but if I was put on the spot, which I have been, I quite like Bad Boy, quite sweet. Oh, I like and nice that one. Yeah. Alongside that, the music's yeah. quite funky. It's kind of of a time where I was growing up. I'm going that. I, I don't have 
quite such strong views about Love Actually, if I'm honest. Not many people do. Uh, it's a little... Marmite, though, I think. I do. Marmite, yeah. But, you know, there should definitely, I think it is changing now, but just more LGBT rom-coms, I think, definitely. are on the cards. And it's often said now about a lot of gay love stories are just very trauma-focused. And I think rom-coms <laughs> don't tend to be. There's quite a lot of gay rom-coms if you search the right websites, Tim. <laughs> I don't know if I'm thinking of the kind of depends on how you define rom-com Mike what's romance to you you know exactly <laughs> and Mike I always ask my LGBTQ plus guests this do you think your youth would have been any different had you seen more LGBTQ plus representation in culture at the time totally 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 I I'm sure the older you get the more you wish you were born a generation before or a generation later absolutely if I could go back to being 18 and having been out I would have had a very different university time. I would not have fought against it, which is clearly what I do. Not many people know I was in the Territorial Army for a couple of years. And I've always thought, is that because I was fighting against being gay and trying to become something different, you know, trying to be as macho as I could? It isn't. It's because I fancied a guy called Paul who joined and I wanted to try and follow him is the truth. And he's totally straight and it was unsuccessful. But actually, I would have definitely had a very different. I, I didn't do theatre, so I went to university. And that is a time where you can recreate yourself because nobody really knows you. You've left home. You're in a new city. You're an 18 year old and you've got a free ticket. And I watched Lord Rugby. I didn't go to the theatre because that's gay. I didn't get involved with any theatrical productions because that's gay. And I just fought against myself I think if I'd had more acceptance and lived in a world where I was exposed to that and knew it was okay and it was all safe I think I would have had a very very different 18 onwards I think I came to London when I was 30 I'd just come out and actually I'd almost edited out that 18 to 29 years and just carried on as I wanted to and Tim do you think LGBTQ plus representation and culture has had an impact on your own life even as a straight man yeah I think so I think that you know culture is constantly changing and it's shifting and I think that as these stories have become more common I think that it's really fascinating and and, and you know the conversation has become more about the progress we've made but also everything that's still needs to be made whereas in the generation before there was probably a lot more self-back patting and I think that the conversation has become more nuanced now and I think that that's a really really great thing so as we're seeing more of these LGBT stories I think at the same time it doesn't shut off that voice that's like well I had a problem with this film because of this or it didn't go far enough and I think that's just very important that we keep those critical voices and we keep listening to people who are from the LGBT community and I think that that is definitely something that increasingly as I've got older I've seen more of and sought out more of and will continue to do so. On the back, I think it is really, really important that we have a lot of theatre, films, etc. that represent the community. But it's nice to start seeing that gay is not the theme. That actually you can have a film with a gay couple in and that's just normal now. And that's not the focus of it. And I think that is moving into an acceptance phase of we all live like this. I think that for me personally, I work on children's picture books as well. It's the kind of other side of my writing. I've always been very interested in writing for kids as well and seeing how much more open that is. Because that's really where it starts, you know, in terms of what they see as normal. And shows like The Legend of Korra, She-Ra, Adventure Time, all that just 
have these gay characters and all these non-binary characters and I think that that is just so so important for kids to just learn early on that this is normal and I think that there's still like censorship issues in certain countries and there's all that because the world is an incredibly messy place but I think that you know you were talking Mike about being 18 and I think that there's a chance for this new generation now that it will be before that maybe that's overly optimistic but <laughs> we can hope. I get so excited when I go to pride events and see tiny kids just living their best lives and it's just it makes me so happy but yeah I think that's that's happening more now which is just wonderful to see and how do you think LGBTQ plus representation in culture still needs to improve? That's a really tricky question I think it's important to have a pride month but I think there has to be some substance behind that rather than just using it as a commercial banner to promote businesses and make you put a logo to say we are inclusive because I think there is a danger to say, I am an ex-bank and look at us, we've got a rainbow flag behind our brand. Whoa. But actually, I think you need more than that. I think it has to have some substance to say, this is normal, we are supporting the community, rather than using it as a marketing strategy. Tim, do you know? Oh, um, <laughs> well, I think what we need here is a straight man's perspective. So, <laughs> no, I agree with you, Mike. I think, and you know, this is more my socialist perspective <laughs> than anything else but yeah I, I just think it's gross that a lot of these big companies will say oh happy pride thumbs up and then you look at their actual practices uh, and their history with any LGBT employees they've had and it's the sharp contrast of what they're saying and I think that accountability for that would be great and it would be lovely to you know we've got gay bars and non-gay bars and actually that's very defining and we need to move to an era where actually there is bars and you can walk into a bar and you can look at Tim and you could get rejected by Tim but actually the, the guy next to him might be and that's fine to snog a guy or snog a girl or whoever you want to snog and nobody cares kind of like segregate them let's stick them over there let's kind of like put them underground still we're definitely changing but I think there needs to be a bit more of a wider inclusivity in the world that we exist in. as soon as I go in a bar it's definitely not a straight bar anymore that's all <laughs> to both of you as writer and producer I think you have a responsibility to promote good representation in your work and how do you ensure that you do that so as the producer we get a lot of work sent to us tim's script was one of a thousand that i i didn't read all thousand i read about 50 percent of those and i think you can pick out good writing good work but work with a good story attached to it and a message that really needs to be told. As somebody who screens a lot of plays, I want something interesting, I want something different. I want a different angle on something. And Candy ticked those boxes. And I guess on a personal level, it, it resonated and just kind of got to my little heart a bit more than others, perhaps. So for me, we can screen things like that and make something and tell a new story. I don't know about you, Tim. I think one of the scariest things for a writer always, especially when they're first starting out, is just sharing their work quite openly because it can be so exposing, it's so personal. But I would really just encourage those writers to do that because sending candy on to people from the LGBT community has just been so helpful. I've had input from friends and from Mike and not that Mike's not my friend, from friends and from Mike. <laughs> I think that that's so important. And I think just continuing to do that and I'm not Northern either and Will is, as you can tell from my accent. So I've sent it to Northern friends to like check I'm doing that right as well. You know what I mean? And uh, I was spelling now wrong, apparently. So that was very good to know. 
How do you spell that? Yeah, exactly. Now I know, you know. The relationship between us as well is being really important. And most new emerging writers are very receptive. There's definitely been a few that we've worked with as a company who've been maybe a little bit trickier. But I think the relationship between Sir Tim and myself and our very good friend, and we have worked very closely together. As we said, we finished the play, we went for a 6.5% pint and really... You didn't realise that was 6.5% at the time. I remember you being like, Tim, I feel... The day after. Actually, Tim will take feedback and I will take feedback and we kind of keep each other a bit in check. Not that we're ever difficult to work with or you do this, well, why aren't you doing that? It's always been very collaborative. I'm not a writer. I'm really not a writer. Tim is very receptive when I say, you know, Will wouldn't say that. He'd, he'd probably say that or he'd probably do that now. As Tim's already said, I don't think he'd say it like that. Have you tried doing it like this or be more introvert when you say this? And it's like, great. So actually the symbiosis of writer, producer and performer actually is quite magical here. Obviously it's a massive part of the job and I do love it, but you know, if I was just interested in sitting in my room and writing, then I would be writing like, you know, Victorian era descriptive novels. It's the collaboration that's really, you know, there was this stage in my career where it was just writing these screenplays and sending them out to people and to competitions and not getting very far. And every single project that I've had that's more collaborative has been so much more rewarding and so much more immediate. And I think that that's just so valuable. So Reboot has always tried to find people like to, you know, and represent their work. And for us, and certainly for me personally in Candy, my job is just to do best by Tim is actually to represent what he's done and actually get his work out there so this isn't for me this has always been for Tim and obviously the King's Head Tim for reasons you know was a very personal piece for you and I always think this is Tim's career we're trying to support here. So sweet such a sweet guy isn't he? (laughs) Thanks Mike. And Mike which trope or stereotype in LGBTQ plus culture most annoys you? How do you mean by that? Uh, Thinking of bury your gays with lesbians they always end up killing them off in <laughs> all sorts of things or I'm thinking of like James Corden's portrayal in The Prom for instance it's very criticised for things like that. I think it is the stereotypical representation of what a gay guy is. I've said it's quite nice to see that gay characters are not the focus of a story in a lot of productions, but yet they may still have that gay stereotype attached to them. And I think that's fun. We enjoy it. Drag is a little bit like that in a way, but I think we need to break the stereotype because I'm a very straight acting gay man and we can all camp it up if we want, but that isn't what gay necessarily is. And I think it it is difficult for people who want to be gay, be them teenagers or 40, 50 year old men who are struggling to still come out, married to wives and children, but actually, They know that's not them, so they can't be gay because they're not camp and flouncy. And I think we need to break that as a stereotype and say gay can be whatever it wants to be. And I have to ask you the age old question as well. What is your view on casting in terms of casting gay actors in gay roles, for instance? tricky because I've been cast as a gay man in a straight role but is he straight I've got very very strong views on the representation of trans and feel that a trans actor should be cast in a trans role if that makes sense I think it should be whoever defines that role a lot of straight actors will play gay roles well why not you know they're an actor they can become somebody else that is their job and very similarly I'm a gay man I don't just want to be cast as gay roles I can act and I want to do other roles 
skills as well. And actually, if you're a good enough actor, you don't need to. Of course, on the back of that, your backstory as a person with that representation from the community can just bring that extra thing. And both of you, which LGBTQ plus creatives are you excited to see more work from in the future? That's really tricky. I can tell you who I respect a lot and love their work and have gone a little bit silent. Playwright, I love Philip Ridley. I'd love to see more. He's done a lot. He's got a, a huge biography. I'd love to do some of his work. I'd love to see more of his work in a newer version, newer era. Can I tell you my most recent play that I've seen? Yes. Well, my first post-lockdown play, I'm sure it will have been spoken about on this, is Cruise and Jack Holden. I have a lot of respect for as a performer, as a writer, and currently he's producing work as well and I think if we're looking at emerging gay queer community artists I think he's one to watch I was mesmerized by his performance by the story in Cruise it was clearly very well written but very well presented story and you know I would be very excited by him and what he's going to do for the future I would love to sit over a pint with him and just chat and get guidance on what he's done and how he's got to where he is to help me help us for me no Steve showrunner of She-Ra I really want to see what they do next and in terms of theatre Ben Wetherill who wrote Jellyfish did you see Jellyfish? Uh, yeah which is amazing not really a, a gay play but Ben is and I think just seeing what he's got in his brain box I think is going to be really interesting because he's a young writer but he's doing so many great things and you know he's really passionate about working with disabled actors and performers and just interested in representation so I am excited about his career me too and now it's time for the moment we've all been waiting for my quick fire round so answer the first thing that comes to mind so if both of you take it in turns who's uh, going first am i going first you go first all right okay is this the first rapid fire round you've done with a straight man as well yeah it is i'm gonna be it's interesting to see <laughs> i'm worried he's gonna outgay me favorite lgbtq plus tv show love pose really love what pose has done very very excited to see the next and i think final series i think it's beautiful i think it really helps gay or people even outside the community understand that journey and the struggle people have had if I'm allowed a second because it's the yeah. only thing that's got me through lockdown it would be Shit Creek oh, so lovely like literally I regret watching it so quickly and uh, I've watched it more than once and it is just so watchable it is so so well written and yeah it helped me through the last 18 months I was gonna say Shit's Creek so now I'm on the back foot. Damn you, Mike! <laughs> I mentioned all those kids shows before that I really love and I think is just so important. But yeah, you know, Shit's Creek, just having, as we were talking about, just the lack of trauma. It shouldn't feel refreshing, but it does. It's like, oh, look, they're in a really healthy gay relationship. And it makes you question, like, why is that something that I haven't really seen much on TV? And I think it's just so beautifully done. And yeah, simply the best. Oh, it's just so right? lovely. I a gay relationship in the middle of a remote town in the Americas and yeah. you know that's normal and that's what we've already said that's what you, we need to get to have you seen the documentary about it that they made yes. after the final you haven't. yes you have to it, it made me cry a lot so I will you know watch it with tissues but it's just it's amazing I have a whatsapp group with a few work colleagues called Shits Creek and one of them got drunk recently and bought a pair of Moira Rose glasses created by Dan <laughs> It's like my favourite thing ever. Oh. My flatmate has a uh, rose apothecary jumper. I want one of those so badly. Okay, so favourite LGBTQ plus comedian? Easy. It's a comedian called Larry Dean. 
He is a Glaswegian comedian. He's kind of merging. He's kind of done some TV things that we'll have heard of on the BBC. He's very Glaswegian, which makes him even funnier. And I think he's fantastic. I'm going to cheat and uh, plug a mate, but he is brilliant. So, you know, it's not like I'm just like, listen to my mate. And then they're terrible. Uh, He's a comedian called Nat Graham. Really, really funny and is quite new to the game and is just starting out gigging and only came out as trans quite recently. So it's quite near the start of that journey. And that's quite an interesting perspective in terms of their comedy and as well as that they're interested in classical literature and Greek classical theatre he's just great company as well dry sarcastic and constantly belittling everyone in a lovely way obviously not in a really (laughs) toxic way and favourite LGBTQ plus musician if I can have an ally I'm going to say pink because what gay man doesn't love pink would love to be carried down the aisle at my funeral to a pink song if you want somebody who is actually LGBTQ and makes me a little bit more cool I would go Ezra Furman I think they are great I've seen them live and I like what they do. I'm a big fan of Frank Ocean. And I think that he really paved the way for more rap and R&B artists, which is something that I never would have expected just because, you know, growing up, you saw how much homophobia there was in rap. But now you've got someone like Lil Nas X. And there's also a band called Brockhampton and the ringleader of them, Kevin Abstract, is very openly gay. And he's fantastic. So yeah, Frank Ocean and Kevin Abstract, I'm going to say. And favourite LGBTQ plus book? I'm a terrible book reader I didn't yeah you said didn't you say to me Mike that you've never read a single book in your life he, he said that he says that a lot don't you Mike um, <laughs> <laughs> that's only true after I read Charlie in the Chocolate Factory during lockdown Landerous words terrible book reader I struggled my way through Alan Hollingsworth years and years ago because it's kind of like the gay version of Fifty Shades of Grey but I'm not a reader so I'm gonna have to duck out of that one fair enough Tim will give two answers however I will not I'm giving one this time so children's stuff is my other kind of go-to reference point. So I recently read a children's book called Julian is a Mermaid. Have you heard of it, Jess? I haven't heard of it, no. Oh, great. It's by... Jessica Love is her name and yeah it's a kid's picture book and it's about this kid called Julian who really wants to be a mermaid and it's an extended metaphor for people who are non-binary and trans and I'm gonna spoil it but it's a kid's book so you know it won't take you long. In the end his grand, if I remember rightly, takes him essentially to like a pride parade. For the sake of metaphor it's just all these mermaids and fish people but he kind of feels comfortable there and it's really really lovely and heartwarming. So it sounds like a book for me to start on Yes, yeah, yeah. I think there might be a few big words for you, Mike, but I'll help you out if you need. I'll break them down with put my thumb over. Yeah, put your thumb, yeah. yeah. And favourite LGBTQ plus film? Is it me? Call me by your name. Love it. I think it's beautiful. It's very artistic. It is a very heartwarming story. It kind of goes back to what we've been saying about just trying to understand yourself and where you are. The monologue a father gives to the son yeah. at the end. It's what you want every parent to say to you as a queer person. The music is so good as well. Music is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Sofiane Stevens fan, so... For me, over lockdown, I saw Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I loved. Again, doesn't end happily, but you know. (laughs) Also, and this is maybe perhaps not an LGBT film because it's like straight director, straight actors. And I think now looking at it through this modern lens, maybe doesn't hold up as well in that department. But like, I just love it as this beautiful love story. I just love Brokeback Mountain. I just love it so much. And I just think Heath Ledger is the best actor ever. I just constantly watch that film crying throughout. 
so yeah even though again it ends tragically spoilers but yeah I just love that film I don't know if that's a very straight man answer but I love it. but the writer Annie Pree's been talking about it a lot recently about the ownership of the characters and how fans yeah. have taken it and reclaimed them yeah I, I think that as well like the writer of the original short story had so many nice things to say about Heath Ledger's performance and just being like he is Ennis that is the character that I wrote on the page yeah but that's really interesting I, I didn't know a lot about the fans reclaiming it I think I'll look into that and favorite LGBTQ plus play or musical or both if you want uh it's gonna have to be both I mean, what gay man doesn't love a musical? Play. I'm going to be kind of off piste because Angels and America Inheritances clearly, they're both incredible seminal pieces in gay theatre. But one of the plays I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years is a play called John, which was at the National Theatre. So John it was produced by a physical theatre company called DV8. And I love physical theatre. I love verbatim theatre. And it is an incredible story, again, set in the North, about a guy called John in I think it was Sunderland and it's about his struggles growing up as a child and struggles growing up in a married relationship which was quite violent and aggressive and he ends up in prison the backstory is actually John is a repressed homosexual man having grown up in the north in in this very northern working class narrow-minded environment that we've talked about throughout this piece and it was so cleverly created with a continuous revolving set that just emerges into those gay saunas and that way of understanding gay life and his exploration of that, I think is one of the most incredible pieces of theatre I've seen in some years. If I'm allowed a musical as well, I would say Rent. I think it's a great piece, love the music, I love the story and it's timeless, regardless of what critics might say about it. I'm going to see that in Manchester in September. I'm, I'm very jealous. The thing is with you going first, Mike, is I have loads more time to think about it and you're actually... <laughs> So, right before lockdown, I saw a play called Baby Reindeer by Richard Gadd. Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah. So for those listening who don't know, it's his debut play and he's writing it and performing it. I think I'd already written the first draft of the full-length version of Candy by the time that I saw it, but it was definitely the redrafts that a big influence just because it has those similarities. You know, it's one guy on stage and he's talking about this very kind of personal story. It's more, in a sense, the B-plot, what he's going through with his personal sexual identity. But it's essentially about, you know, he was quite this low-key Scottish guy who was this young comedian. And essentially, there's a female stalker who, over years, stalks him and really grinds him down. And while that's happening, he's going through this crisis with his sexuality. And he starts dating a trans woman. And his stalker doesn't like that and starts saying very transphobic things. And it's just a really fascinating look at this very particular story that you know is absolutely true and has happened. And it's still something that he is going through now. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful show. Jess, you've seen it. You, it's so you good. Them, right? I've, I've, bought, I've read the play afterwards several times oh, yeah. as well, because it's just, yeah, amazing. That was my first play of the pandemic to... Oh, really? Because it was going to go to the West End. Because you picked it up so much, Tim. Um, oh, I did to you, yeah, yeah. Rose feet and like, yeah, it's cancelled. It'll have another life, though. It'll come sure. back. And favourite LGBTQ plus artist? By artist, do you mean with a paintbrush? Or a sculptor or photographer? Hockney, David Hockney, love his work. I love the way he's changed the media through, through his lifestyle for an older guy who's now using iPad art. 
but I love his simplistic sketches. I keep looking over there. I don't sound like that kind of knob. I've got a sketch of two boys lying in bed together. And yeah, I think he's a beautiful artist. I know next to nothing about art. And my older brother's probably going to be saying, for shame, when he listens to this. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I'm drawing a blank on a single artist, like LGBTQ or otherwise. Like, what? who does art? <laughs> well, you made it through that pretty painlessly, I would say. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's the best I could have hoped for. <laughs> and finally, what's next for you both after Candy? Candy two, Candy two, Candy, candy two, four, the sequel. So, so Candy it will be at the Fringe next year, unless there's another apocalypse. We are hoping to do another series of reboot shorts later this year. They were postponed from last year. We've got another many hundred scripts that we are currently reading because they were put on hold because we couldn't perform them. So the hope would be to try and a selection of those later this year if that comes off but obviously the big thing is going to be candy next year it's coming next year (laughs) we'll be there at the fringe next year and this year in a different form but yes that and then i'm writing these children's books and i've got currently six of them maybe nine of them to write so it's been lucrative over lockdown which is really good i've kind of really taken to it it'd be great because it's my godson's birthday and i i've got to give him a (laughs) So oh, absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of, we've got the main character in one of the series is non-binary. So that's been a really interesting challenge. And it's like all set in a fantasy world. So they're essentially like a plant person. But, you know, that's the way we do it, that everyone who's born from the ground, like why would they have, you know, a sex or a gender? So they're all they, them. And then the short film version of Candy. Candy is the gift that keeps on giving in terms of all the different forms it takes. And then I'm just kind of working on my own little projects, still interested in screenplay plays and writing longer form theatre so there's just a bunch of things kind of in the back burner that I'm hoping when the world properly reopens will have life but we shall see. Talking of work for kids have you seen the fury of uh, Gonzo in the Muppets babies about yeah the TV series they put them in a dress and made a sort of big point about them potentially being non-binary or trans and obviously the conservative right have not taken too well to it but it was really nice to see the positive responses from parents with queer kids and things like that. Yeah, I'd look Absolutely. into it because it's really interesting. Yeah, especially with something that's, you know, been on for so long as the Muppets, it's already so pre-established, which I can imagine for conservative people is an extra incentive. They ruined it! That kind of comment. Well, thanks so much for talking to me, both. This has been really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. It has. Lovely to meet you and thanks for having a straight man on. <laughs> <laughs> if you like the sound of that, Candy is available on Zoo TV, the most popular Edinburgh Fringe streaming service, until the 28th of August, and tickets cost £5. A bargain.